the Survey USA poll that I mentioned earlier uh, showed 60% of Texas voters overall and 66% of likely voters would vote yes if it goes on a ballot. So, you know, for us, the all we have to do is get the vote. And, and you know, it's one of the reasons, I'm sure, that the political establishment is fighting so hard to, to uh, you know, against us putting it on the ballot. They don't want it to go on the ballot uh, because they understand that if it goes on the ballot, it wins, and it doesn't win by a little. You know, we're not talking about a 50% plus one vote victory here. Uh, we're talking probably uh, well over a majority or supermajority. We will blow the opposition out of the water by 15 to 20 percentage points. That is what that is what the political establishment's afraid of because when we do and we put that massive number of voters in the Texas polls, they know that it will break the back of the political establishment that is not serving our interests. They're serving other interests. They serve other masters. Welcome, Freedom Junkies, to a very special edition of Freedom Junkie Radio. Because you know that on Freedom Junkie Radio, we talk about anything that can bring more freedom into our lives. And if you're a Texan, there's really nothing more than the idea of an independent Republic of Texas that would bring more freedom into our lives. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. And I am absolutely excited to have Daniel Miller on today. He is not only the spearhead of the movement, he started the Texas nationalist movement. Tell me if I'm wrong when we get there, Daniel, but I think that you're the you're the guy who started that. And he wrote the book Texit, which I poured over from cover to cover. And so with no further ado, Daniel Miller, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Freedom Junkie Radio. Hey, thanks for the invitation. Today, I don't really know whether we want to, I've thought about it. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love for it to either A, be an introduction for newbies who are just figuring out that this is more than a bumper sticker, or that maybe we go in a little deeper for people who really have are starting to have the big, deep questions. Maybe we can do both. Yeah, generally it goes that way. Okay. <laughs> we, when we have extended amounts of time, you know, um, we, we and we can take it any direction you'd like to go. Okay. Well, I had the pleasure of getting to hear you speak. This I can't believe that this was relatively new to coming across for me because I'm a, I love Texas. I'm a huge Texan, and someone handed me this book six months ago. And so they didn't hand me the book. They sent they sent me a link to it. And when I saw it, I instantly lit up, got a copy and got a T-shirt and thought, this is I, this is right up my alley. Started reading it, found out you were speaking and I came to hear you speak and you have developed into, I'm sure you had to develop into a very gifted speaker. That's, um, it was really amazing to hear you. And uh, so I have finished the book and interestingly enough, Every time I had something well up within me, like, for instance, I love America so much. 
obviously. I I have half the Declaration of Independence memorized. And, and that's what we're talking about right now. And I, uh, I realized, I'm like, golly, I just need liberty for future generations. That's my thing. Regardless of whether it happens in Texas or happens in the United States, that's what's important to me. And then I got to your chapter on dual, like, what is it called? <laughs> the dual identity problem. The dual identity problem. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And how you can't have both because like when you think about the American Revolution, the Americans didn't consider themselves British. Yeah. Uh, up until up until the break, uh, you know, they, you know, you, you have to understand that there's always this this tipping point. Right. So, uh, a, you know, a little background. You You heard this when I spoke. I talked about it there. Uh, but but for the folks out there that are that are watching or listening, uh, you know, we we did this before we founded the TNM in 2005. We did a, a pretty exhaustive study of independence movements around the world uh, historically that were going on at the time. And and, you know, one of the things that that came from that, I mean, we there was a lot that came from. But one of the things that speaks to what we're talking about right now. Uh, is that you know there's always this this sort of tipping point i mean you you go back to the american revolution or even the texas revolution yeah during the american revolution there was a a tipping point where up until that point those people were british they were you know affecting you know they were trying to affect change they're pleading for their rights they were still for all intents and purposes in their hearts and minds they were british but then there came this this tipping point where the break happened, and and the I always say this, you know, we we always talk about how politics flows down; it's downstream from culture, but culture flows downstream from your mind and your heart. Uh, and so, you know, they and and it's odd because uh, Dr. Matt Quartrip talked about it in his book that he released recently called uh, "I Want to Break Free." It's about you know all of sort of the work that he did with the independence movements around the world. And, and he talks uh, about, he, he quotes, uh, I think it was, maybe it was Rousseau. Uh, it was one of them. Wh whoever, whoever was tasked with uh, helping Poland create a Polish constitution. Um, he didn't, he took their money. He didn't create the Polish constitution. What he did was he basically gave them uh, a, 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 an idea of how to think. Uh, and one of the things he he told him is, if you want Poland, you have to have you have to first create the Polish. Uh, it was the same thing with Italy. You know, Italy in its modern sense didn't exist for uh, until quite recently in in his, historic terms. Uh, but you know, to create Italy, you had to create the Italians first. So you know, to create what you had in the colonies, those people already effectively identified. They were British in that general sense, but they were already identifying with their particular colony. And then, of course, after the break with their state, uh, you know, you see it uh, in the Scottish independence uh, movement with the, the referendum there. Uh, you know, they're they were rallying in the streets with Scottish flags, not Union Jacks uh, in Catalonia. Every September the 11th, uh, they rally in the streets of Barcelona with La Australia, uh, which is sort of the flag that they utilized for their uh, independence movement to, to set apart their Cat Catalan identity. Mm -hmm. uh, not a Spanish flag in sight, right? I mean, so it's it's that sort of break that has to happen. And one of the things that, that always stymies a lot of these independence movements 
which can really get them bogged down is that that lack of, you know, putting both feet in one camp or the other. Uh, and so for independence to to happen, uh, there has to be this ultimate mind shift, you know, the shift of, of the mind and the heart that says, uh, look, I, I get it from a political perspective. We are part of an economic and uh, political union called the United States of America. But but in in my heart, in my head, I am a Texan. Uh, and that's that's where that's where we are at this point is that shift is occurring here in Texas. Well, and that's an easy one for Texans because we all we already feel like Texans. Yeah. But so if people don't know it, there was a historic moment a few weeks ago when the bill was filed, when the House bill was filed. So tell us this is exciting news. This is it is the movement has a bill in the legislature of Texas that would allow for an independence referendum this November. Tell us how that how you made that happen. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the second session that we've gotten it done. And, and you have to have to understand the, the TNM's progress uh, has really always been about, well, it's not what it's been about, but what it's turned into is people saying, this next step will never happen, and then us making that step happen. So uh, last session, uh, State Representative Kyle Biederman filed the Texas Independence Referendum Act. We had come close uh, three separate times before, uh, but just could not find legislators, any legislators, with the courage uh, to, to file the legislation that would enable Texans to go to the polls and vote on whether or not we should reassert our status as an independent nation. And of course, uh, you know, it got it, obviously the political establishment put their thumb on it. They stymied it because ultimately uh, all of their arguments are hollow, right? They say no one believes in this. There's no, you know, they, they say all those things. If that was the case, then let's just put it on the ballot. Let's vote on it. Let's find out who's telling the truth. Um, but after they shut it down successfully last session, uh, they said we'd never get it filed again. And and we did. We got it filed again this session. Uh, look, it may suffer the exact same fate this session as it did last session. Uh, but every step forward is a step toward giving Texans the right to express their voice on their fundamental right of self-government. Okay. And so if it did go to a vote and we voted against it, then it would be over. It'd probably be another 50, 60, 100 years before it would come up, right? Yeah, it depends. You know, if, if you look at it from the standpoint of, of you know, there's, there's always this saying, you know, there's the poetry of it and then there's the prose of it. The poetry of it says that it's typically a once in a generation event, right? So, you know, you, you get to this point and, and it's, you know, you, you probably would not see an opportunity or you may not see an opportunity for another generation. Uh, but the reality of the situation is, is that, uh, you know, over the last 100 years, there's been about 54, 56 independence referendums. Several of them, I say several, four have failed. Uh, two of those in Quebec, one in Scotland. There's one other that's not coming to mind right now. Uh, but, but of those, those were the failures. Any of the other failures actually have gone back within 10 years and voted in the affirmative. So, okay. so the odds, so if you're, if you're playing this from the statistics, the statistics essentially say that even if you go to this vote and you fail on this vote, uh, the probability says you will get another opportunity inside of 10 years. And then that one will pass. 
and, and Scotland's actually sort of on track to do that. Uh, they, you know, they had their vote in 2014. It failed. Uh, they've been pushing for it again over the last two years. Uh, the Scottish National Party has had some some serious political missteps that have effectively derailed it. They just, you know, that forced a change in, in leadership recently. But uh, maybe they're going to get back on track with it. Who knows? So one of the things that's really interesting is that the Texas nationalist movement is working within our broken system to change the system. And because from what from what I gather, I, I know a whole lot more after reading <laughs> your book. Here's the book, everybody. Text it. Uh, how, why and how Texas will leave the union. Uh, it makes perfect sense because it's the only way to do it legally. It's the only way, and it is legal. Pe one of the questions people have is, is it legal for Texas? You know, are we committing yeah. treason? There's the T word and the, you know, if you want to address that real quick, because people do think that we're, we can't. Yeah. It's uh, you know, there's, there's always these, this sort of basket of, of, questions and you know you're couching it as, as questions that people have um I, I look more at it as like people are questioning objections that they have heard from the opposition um you know the opposition loves to throw out there this accusation that it's unconstitutional that it's illegal that it's treason that it's sedition uh, but their their claims uh don't don't uh they don't bear the weight of any scrutiny whatsoever you know when someone says it's unconstitutional all you have to do is say, please pull out a copy of the Constitution and show me in the Constitution where it says that a state cannot withdraw from the Union. Uh, I'll give them a hint. Our Article 1, Section 10 last, lists everything states are forbidden from doing. And guess what's not in there? Withdrawing from the Union. Uh, and so, therefore, under the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution, it's a, it's a right reserved to the states. So, uh, you know, that, that one falls on its face. Well, they say that it's illegal, which would mean that there is some law on the books that forbids it. Uh, and again, I invite them to whip out a copy of the, you know, the federal law or state law and point to anywhere in there where it says that Texas can't leave the union. I'll, I'll give them, uh, you know, I'll, I'll save everyone some time. It's not in there. So then they'll fall back to this this old canard, the old chestnut of the Supreme Court case of Texas versus White, uh, and you know which allegedly says that states can't withdraw from the union. Uh, but you know there are uh, many deficiencies there. Uh, one of which is is the fact that technically it it doesn't say that. It it actually says both things. It says that uh, it's an indestructible union, but then it also gives you two uh, ways that states can withdraw from the union. Uh, so it's internally inconsistent. It's also based on some faulty logic that somehow we are currently living under the Articles of Confederation by some tenuous connection in the preamble to the Constitution. Uh, but but the greatest failure on the part of people who invoke Texas versus white is is really their, uh, that they are stuck in the past. Uh, they don't know. They've never read Texas versus white, so they don't understand what it says. And so, therefore, they don't understand that subsequent Supreme Court decisions and actions by the federal government have effectively overturned and invalidated Texas versus White. Uh, you know, chief among them, uh, the Supreme Court case of Jacobson v. Massachusetts, which said the federal government can derive no powers from the preamble whatsoever. Hmm. So, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that when people throw these things out there, there are people who legitimately question it, but they're asking those questions based on faulty premises and assertions made by the opposition 
that they that don't withstand any scrutiny whatsoever. Okay, so I am. Uh, I've been discussing this with a lot of people, mm-hmm. and I'm getting some real pushback from a big Texan that I love a lot. <clears throat> and here's his big hit me hard question, and it's that there is no way the United States government will let us go. We are we we represent this huge portion of the of the the border between Mexico and and us we have we're such a giant part of, of the American GDP there's so much industry here that he's he said uh the largest military installation in the world is in Killeen Texas and it's the U.S military and they will crush us instantly if we try to do this prove it I mean look you know when when people say those things um, they, they have one reference point and that one reference point is the civil war, something that happened in the 19th century. You know, we're, we're bordering on, it won't be much longer, 40 more years and we'll be, you know, 200 years since the civil war. So they have one reference point, but for those, for that one reference point, uh, there's so much evidence on the other side that counteracts that narrative. Um, you know, I don't live in the 19th century. I woke up this morning and my calendar said it was 2023. Um, you know, I didn't, I don't, uh, I'm, uh, you know, when I get out of here and I have to go to the store, I'm not going to ride a horse and I'm not going to the general store. Um, you know, we're, we're in a very different world. The military is not made up of units comprised of the various states. Um, you know, no one is talking about firing on Fort Sumter or unilateral declarations of independence. So, you know, my, my, my comeback to that is, look, you know, extra, extraordinary claims require, require extraordinary evidence or proof, right? So I we can we can show uh, how the last 85 to 100 years of history uh, proved that assertion wrong. Let them prove it right. At what point in recent history has the United States said that they would crush any state? Even when Obama was president, um, they, you know, when they had the White House petition going and, you know, over 250,000 people signed the petition from Texas for Texas to withdraw from the union, uh, the response they gave was not do it and we'll come in and we'll crush you under a tank tread. Uh, that, that was not the response. The response was pretty much almost indistinguishable from Trump's uh, response when he was asked the question in 2016. You know uh, why won't te- why won't Texas leave? Well, Texas won't leave because they love me, right? That was almost exactly the same response that the Obama administration gave. You know, we've got a great union. Uh, you know, this was settled. You know, that sort of thing. But but at the end of the day, from a policy, legal, you know, practical perspective, that's just not the case. And so you have to begin to ask yourself when when people have that sort of argument about it. Well, walk me through that scenario. What does that look like, right? We we're going to have a big public debate. We're gonna we're gonna have a referendum that's an, enabled by Texas law. Uh, all the people of Texas, after a lengthy full debate, are going to go to the polls. They're going to vote on the question: Should the state of Texas reassert its status as an independent nation? Uh, and then we initiate the process, right? And that process involves looking at, you know, making uh, adjustments to the Constitution here in Texas, um, you know, enacting statutes based off of those changes, uh, looking at international covenants, treaties, and agreements. And finally, the the fourth part of that equation is beginning negotiations with the federal government for a withdrawal. 
Uh, no one has ever said that Texit means that the day after we have the vote, uh, we're going to go storm the post office in Austin uh, or, you know, any kind of ridiculous, uh, you know, apocalypse pornography that people want to throw out there. Um, you know, it's it's a very thoughtful process. And, you know, here's the good news. We've seen it happen repeatedly around the world for the last 75 years. Uh, and, and you know, the federal government, I believe, understands that the, the negative consequences that flow from reacting poorly if Texans decide they want to withdraw from the union, those negative consequences far, far uh, outweigh to the negative, uh, you know, being, you know, being recalcitrant, being a bunch of petulant children at the negotiating table, but ultimately ending with a, with a withdrawal agreement that works for both of us. That's the ultimate pragmatic play here. Um, yeah. This idea, this idea that they're going to empty out Fort Hood or whatever it's going to be called next, uh, and and you know, murder nine million Texans for voting wrong is just ridiculous on its face. Well, and I agree with you because I just think that would be extraordinarily unpopular amongst Americans. You know, if California well, decided they wanted to leave the union, we're not going to go kill them. That doesn't. No. Well, look, and, and here's here's the proof, right? So if you go to our website at TNM.me, you're going to see one of the featured articles is about the, the Survey USA poll that was released last summer uh, that showed that 60% of, of Texas voters overall and 66% of likely voters would vote for Texas if it goes on a ballot. But here's here's the other part of that poll. That was not the only poll that was done. Texas was not the only state surveyed. They surveyed eight eight states. And when they surveyed those states, and, and they were a mix. New Hampshire was in the mix. I mean, there were several other states. Uh, but one of the things that they asked in that in that polling for all the states was, would you support military action or what do you think is the worst um, you know, retaliation that should happen to a state that decides to withdraw. And what you had was military intervention was less than 10%. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you, the, what does that, that ultimately means that you've got over 90% of the people in other states that would not support an action like this. And those states are all over the map, politically speaking, right across the partisan spectrum. Uh, you've got over 90%. Well, look, when you had a 25% disapproval rate on the Vietnam War, Ultimately, the United States had to pull out. Now, what does that mean if you've got a 90 plus percent, uh, you know, disapproval rate on military action on any state? Uh, you know, less than 30 percent believe that there should be, uh, you know, any economic consequences. The vast majority believe there should be no repercussions whatsoever. If a state wants to leave, let them leave. So, you know, the the bottom line is there is no popular support. And if the federal government did, as the gentleman you're talking about suggested, uh, then, you know, what that ultimately means is that the United States will lose probably over half of the other states as well in less than a 30-day time period uh, as a reaction to something that, frankly, our grandfathers and grandmothers, our fathers and mothers, some of the people that are watching here, our sons and daughters have been sent to fight, bleed, and die for, and that's that right of self-determination. Uh, I mean, imagine the the rank hypocrisy. Imagine how the rest of the world would react to a hypocritical action like that on the part of the federal government when they have, for the last you know two, three generations, been the chief proponent of self-government in the world. Right. Yeah, we've we've gotten behind countries that break away and encouraged it. Well, um, 
you know, something else that comes up when we're talking about this is, okay, what's Texas going to look like? Well, what are we going to create? And I've been thinking that and thinking that and thinking that for months. And then I got to your chapter uh, about in the book about how that has yet to be determined. And if that puts the cart before the horse, if we start trying to say, well, it's we're going to have this incredible new education system. Well, Texans are very diverse. We have we are all the way across the spectrum in every way. That has yet to be determined. And if we start to talk like that, it ruins the uh, our ability to actually get the vote. And that's what we're 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 here for is is to put this before Texans. And then Texans can make that decision because the best the, the thing that drew me in at your talk, of course, and you know this, was the question, if we were already a republic, if Texas were already a bona fide nation among the nations, and we were invited into the union today, knowing what we know about the federal government, would we, would you, would anyone listening join? And you pause for a minute and everyone just, it's the the answer that runs through your head is you'd have to be insane to join. So then if that's your question, if that's your answer, why on earth would we, you know, we wouldn't, then why wouldn't we separate ourselves? And that's just a brilliant way of, of making people see what's at stake here. Right. So my question that, that haunts me and has been haunting me, and I'm so lucky to be sitting here asking you these questions, the cultural Marxism that has gotten just deep into the United States, into our shadow government, it's our Congress isn't even running things. You can go as deep into this as you want. It's so corrupt. And Texas is in that. We've already got that. They've already gotten to our judges and our school boards and our um, universities how do we keep Texas without going into what Texas is going to be? Obviously it'd be better. We're not going to have the same type of school system that's, you know, that none of us want or the same type of health or banking or uh, anything that we're going to make something that uh, we agree upon is a better thing. How, how do we keep the globalist agenda from just railroading us? Well, look, let's, let's just establish the baseline here. Uh, without Texas independence, you have no hope of doing that. I mean, that's just, that's the thing about it. As long as we're attached to the federal system, you, you don't, you don't win that fight, right? So what this is about is giving us every opportunity or every advantage to, to deal with this. And you have to look at it from the standpoint, some of the, some of the other states, you know, but particularly the, the, the federal system is terminally broken. Uh, many of the other states have made their choice. Look, we we asked them in the last midterms to show us a sign that they were willing to turn this thing around. And what did we get? Well, Pennsylvania delivered us John Fetterman. Okay, so uh, they they have effectively spoken. But you know the the concern is you know how Texans will um, craft post Texas policy. Policy is an independent nation, and, and I think it's important to understand that the vast majority of Texans don't get their voices heard on this issue at all. You know, whether it's education, like you talked about, or frankly, you know, the border, I mean, any of these other issues, the vast majority of Texans have not entered the field. They are not a part of the discussion. And a lot of that is by choice. You know, they have, uh, you know, those that have spent time 
um, you know, sort of playing in the political system, don't understand it by and large. Uh, but, um, you know, m the vast majority of people don't understand how the political system works here. Those that have entered into it understand it superficially, but have be become so disgusted at their lack of choices and options that they pull back. And so this is why you have low voter turnouts. You know, you look at the municipal level, uh, you know, you go across a whole host of cities here in Texas, uh, municipal voter turnout is oftentimes less than 10%. Uh, you know, you get into, you get into the races during the normal general election, whether that's statewide, state level, county level, um, you know, those down ballot races almost get no attention. And, and even at the top of the ballot, voter turnout is still pathetic. Okay. So, you know, you have to look at what Texas allows us to do, uh, and and what that might turn into. Well, first and foremost, Texas is the one issue that can engage those people, right? To bring hardworking, everyday men and women here in Texas back into the system by giving them something that they have never had before, which is actually a, a choice to have a voice and a say in things. Um, worldwide uh, and historically, independence referendums have about an 85% voter turnout. So, you know, that's that's a massive amount of people. When you look at the fact we have 17 million registered voters here in Texas, you're bringing a lot of those people, your friends and neighbors, uh, your co-workers, people you go to church with, whatever that is, you're going to bring them into the process, many of them for the first time. And they're going to be examining issues of, of governance, real issues of how we're governed. Every rock during this debate gets turned over. How do we know? Because we've seen it happen everywhere else every rock gets turned over from the state house to the schoolhouse so what does that mean well that means that you've got energized people that are excited about being able to exercise their right of self-government and now they've got a bushel basket full of brand new information about how things have been working not just at the federal level but at the state level at the county level at the local level uh, and in, and those people don't go home when the vote's over. You know, that we've seen it time and time again. Those people stay engaged with the process to see it all the way through. So now you've got all these really engaged people that are uh, operate would essentially operate as the largest voting voting block in the history of Texas. But then on the other side of that, we get to determine how we're governed. So here here's the effect of that. Uh, number one, no, there won't be any more campaign money, you know, flying into Texas from outside of Texas because they are then foreign campaign contributions, right? Like we don't take campaign donations from China or Mexico or Canada or France. We wouldn't take them from California, New York, you know, none of those places, right? They're foreign, which changes the power dynamic for politicians now. Now, who do they have to satisfy? Well, that would just happen to be us. Now, you also take the federal government out of the equation, right, because we're no longer concerned with that circus that's coming out of Washington, D.C., so that attention gets focused on governance issues right here in our own backyard. Now, with, with the money situation corrected and the focus issue addressed, uh, the, the next thing is, okay, well, what about these policies? How are we going to do these things? How, how will they look from a policy perspective? I, I would tender this to, to anyone, is that if you look at any federal policy from top to bottom, it probably does not resemble anything that Texans would create if given the opportunity to create it themselves, right? 
uh, and that goes for federal programs, that goes for trade uh, trade deals, trade treaties. I mean, it goes across the board. Uh, so what that means is, is that Texans for the first time will have an opportunity to have these substantive discussions and debates about what the shape of our new nation will look like without the federal government playing any role in that conversation whatsoever. No outside money, no federal government, no federal agency, no regulation, no whatever. So, you know, uh, you can begin to extrapolate from that and think about what Texans already think about. The border is one of the easiest things to talk about there uh, because Texans have, have been very clear. They want a strong, secure border and they want a sensible immigration policy. Uh, but none of those things are even on the table for us to discuss until we tax it. You know, when it comes to an education system, We've had the federal government via the Department of Education put their thumb on the scales of local education here in Texas uh, for years and years and years. You know, we're we're into two, three generations now of the federal government interfering in local education. But if Texans didn't have to essentially overpay 103 to 160 billion dollars annually, and we didn't have to kowtow to federal regulations uh, and federal oversight and allow the federal government to usurp the relationship between education and and us, uh, then you know what what does that look like? You know what do, does that mean? We get school choice. Does that mean you know uh, you know everybody gets to? Hunt? Does that mean we're going to be able to restructure everything? Well, it means we'll have the ability to do that. But ultimately, that'll have to be a conversation that Texans have, and we'll be we'll be able to have it in a real way for the first time in our lives. It's amazing. You mentioned the overpayment that we do. I think this is a really important topic for people to understand too, because they wonder, oh, what are we going to do without all the federal funding that comes this way? Well, yeah, it, I'm going I'm to go to the bank. <laughs> I'm going to be happy. Yeah, uh, because we overpay. We pay so much more into, get, give us a few statistics there that, that show how rich Texas would be if we left. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you will see people calculate this and you know wallet there's a wallet hub article that makes the rounds all the time that love that says that red states are uh welfare states that red states get more money than blue states but the the reason being is so many of those places cook the books and 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 the the surefire way that you know this is go back to uh the tax policy foundation uh, in 2005 did its did its study about federal money and showed that we were upside down. The The way that you have to look at it is, is it's simply this. Does Texas have enough money to fund the functions of a national government, right? Like you have to start with that question to be able to calculate it correctly. So what you have to do is you have to say, okay, Texans pay money to the feds and Texans pay money to the state because those are the two the two areas that you've got to look at. <clears throat> how much money is that? Then you have to say, okay, of that money, how much of that comes back uh, into Texas? So for Texas, that's easy. How much we pay in state taxes, what our biennial budget is. On the federal government, you have a little bit more calculation, right? You have federal excise taxes, you have... Uh, income taxes, excise taxes, corporate taxes, you know, all these different fees. I mean, all of these. So you take that as a bundle of money and say, that's how much is paid to the federal government to do whatever it is that the federal government does here. Then you have to subtract out how much money 
actually comes back in. And, and that's across all forms, right? It's not just direct cash payments or grants. It's in federal matching funds, right? So there's a 40 to 60% match depending on the program, uh, you know, all of the things. The one thing that you have to do, and this is how a lot of the opponents like to cook the books, is they love to to keep uh, they love to keep so uh, federal pension benefit payments in that in that equation. So both to those federal pension benefit plans and back out. the The problem with that is is that you can collect federal pension benefits, including Social Security, no matter where you live. Okay. Uh, so if, if I am a social security recipient and I decide I want to move to Mexico, I still get my social security check. The only exception is whether or not that country is under banking sanctions generally because they're state sponsors of terrorism. So you knock out Cuba, North Korea, Iran, Syria, some of those places, but pretty much anywhere else in the world, you, you get that money. So that's why you can't even include that in the equation. Because Texas as an independent nation, a person living there who collects federal pension benefits can still collect those benefits. So when you do that, and that's, like I said, that's how they skew the numbers. They skew the numbers by including that because let's be honest, uh, retirees, federal pension benefit recipients in large numbers up on retirement move from the states they live in and move to the red states. So because those people are coming in, they don't pay into that system anymore, but they're drawing out of it. It skews the numbers to show that that state is receiving more money. And that's, that's just, it's a lie. So on average, uh, when the last, when the last report was done, the average over the, the previous 10 years was 103 to $160 billion annually. That was the range of how much Texas overpays into the federal system money that goes there that we never see again. Uh, and so imagine as a self-governing independent nation, those taxes stayed here. Well, you know, we can do all kinds of amazing things. If the federal government decided they didn't want to pay federal pension benefit payments anymore to our people, not a problem. That accounts for about $74 billion. Boom, we could do that and still have enough surplus to eliminate property taxes. So, you know, there there is a, you know, a benefit to having that money back in our economy here and out of the hands of being wasted by, you know, two and a half million unelected federal bureaucrats. Right. And the sooner we do this, the less of a debt we owe. And I was reading in your book, I, I did not know. I know so little about, about independence referendums and what's been happening in the world and how when a country breaks free and becomes a new country, which is a trend, if you don't know that, there's been lots of countries created over the last 50, 60 years. Um, they have to take on their their fair share of the debt, which in our case is astronomical. The United States is, is well. We might not have to, right? See, you know, I talk about it. I talk about it in the book uh, from the standpoint of, of of pragmatism, right? So there have been instances where countries bounced out and they said, "Look, I'm you know we're not we're not going to pay it." Uh, understand, and so a, a lot of those eventually go back and, and negotiate something in relation to it because of how it affects them on the international credit markets. But but let me just be clear: there is no requirement to take on a share of that. Uh, there is a a, a principle uh, called onerous debt. So uh, nations or countries or blocks that are being withdrawn from 
are not allowed to impose an exit tax, a.k.a. onerous debt upon the succeeding state. And yes, that is succeeding, not seceding. That's a whole other topic. Uh, but, there, but, but there is no requirement for that. Uh, as a matter of fact, precedent has been sent, set multiple times. Uh, and you, you even heard it during the Scottish independence referendum. Uh, Dr. Matt Quartrup, the guy I mentioned earlier, uh, he, he likens it this way. He says that Texas could withdraw from the union uh, and send the bill to Janet Yellen or Joe Biden or whoever. Um, because we, there is no international obligation to do it. Some do it for practical purposes. Um, but, and, and if you do that, there are different ways that you can calculate it, uh, which I, I think to, I think the point you were getting ready to make is, is it does create a sense of urgency for us, uh, is that federal debt clock continues to climb. Uh, you know, we don't want to be left with a, a bankrupting amount of debt that we inherit from our relationship with the federal system. Well, and speaking of the status quo, one of the questions I had that I've already gotten to ask you because I was so full of questions when you spoke the other night um, was that I had just been down on Capitol Hill uh, testifying against the bill for digital ID in Texas. That's That bothers me. I, I would rather not have a digital ID or right. digital money for that matter. And I got to see the way things go on Capitol Hill. I'm sure you're much more familiar with that than I am. And it was extremely disappointing to see that it, from what I could see, our uh, representatives that we've elected up there in Austin are um, just as politician-like as you'd expect them to be in Washington. Yeah. But we elected them. So that's who we're stuck with. And my question was, uh, who gets to start the new Texas when Texas, when we get, the, I want to talk about getting, getting the vote, getting us yeah. to get this vote. But if it happens, who is the new government of Texas? And that's who it is. But the exciting thing is that in one year, they're up for reelection. So they have to, they have yeah. to be on board and show that they're, a. I mean, and it, and if not, they can go to the house. I mean, you know, this is this goes back to and and I remember us talking about this at at that event. Um, you know, th this is the the cool part about it. And this is why timing is important. You know, there are people that point to some of the problems that they had with Brexit, uh, and you know how how there were people stymieing the the issue, and and that's basically a function of how their political systems organized there five-year uh, general elections. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of rationale. We won't spend a bunch of time on that, but but they, they try to use that to say that we're going to have those same problems here. And and for us, it, it's a timing issue, okay? So we have a, a, a legislative session, uh, and then at the end of a legislative session, you have in November when they vote on constitutional amendments, okay? So there's already an election that's going to be in November specifically for adding constitutional amendments. So the the reason that we have structured our bill this way uh, for, for a couple of different reasons, right? One of them is obviously if we, by statute, create this vote and put it on the same ballot, it makes it revenue neutral. The vote literally costs nothing to have, Okay. Uh, so that that's one primary reason. But the other is right after that, November is the filing window to start running for office for the the next cycle. You know, so uh, the the big issue would be leading at, you know, after that would be the Texas issue. The people of Texas voted on this. 
What are you going to do? Where do you stand on this? People will have to take a side. And remember, that voting block is still in play. You know, you have 85% average turnout here in Texas. That will equate to, based off the poll numbers, somewhere between 8.6 and 9.2 million pro-Texit voters pushing their way through the system. Uh, that's a massive number of pro-Texas voters, the largest voting block in Texas history. In fact, it will be larger, of larger voting block than uh, every vote cast for every gubernatorial candidate in the last governor's election. So, I mean, it's it's massive. So what that does is it effectively not only says, okay, look, we're going to have this expression of political will, but now we've got enough voters engaged in this issue that we can run the table. Uh, you know, especially in that in that debate time ahead of the vote where all of these things come out, you know, like you just said, your experience. I went to Austin. These guys act like a bunch of frat boys. It's about as swampy as Washington, D.C. Well, that's because they go under the radar, right? People don't see what's going on because they're inundated in a 24-hour news cycle with that circus in Washington, D.C. But So Austin gets by with a lot. But suddenly the debate plus the voter block, the voting block moving out of a Texas referendum victory, uh, and then the close proximity of the people that, you know, the the next election, suddenly we've got an opportunity. Uh, the, the, really, this is the only issue that provides an opportunity like this. If people are upset and disgusted by what they see in Austin or even in their, you know, their their county seat or in their city government or their school board. Uh, this is the one issue that that gives us an opportunity to flush the system and right the wrongs that we perceive. It's so from here up until if we get on the ballot in November is very exciting. And I want to talk about that. Um, but then another interesting point that I want to get to is the year after that, when we've voted for our independence and we're going to become, we're becoming in the process of becoming a republic, it's really not that exciting. It's anticlimactic. And that was important for me to hear yeah. that, you know, the next day you wake up and it still looks the same. There are, um, there are measures that are going to be in place for the process that happens after that, but it's definitely kind of a boring process where we shift over and, you know, it's so let's get there. But um, the up until this vote is really important because if we can get it on the ballot, uh, which we would know here in the next few weeks. Right. Tell give me what's going on in Austin right now. Yeah, it's uh, look, it's it's a dicey proposition right now. Uh, it's been assigned to committee, which is where it was last time, but no hearing. Uh, and that's part and parcel of, of the problem now. Uh, you know, let, let's say that we get, you know, we push on till the beginning of May and still no hearing, right? I mean, then, then we're going to have to look at, at other options and, and there are other options, right? But all of those still ultimately lead to a vote that has to be enacted by the legislature. And so, you know, any, any post-referendum things that we would be, you know, looking or post-legislative things that we would be looking at or strategies, uh, would be to empower the people of Texas to have their voices known uh, at every level and to be able to force this issue on a ballot, any type of ballot, uh, as a prelude to putting so much pressure on the next legislative session and enough pro-Texit legislators 
uh, that we have absolutely no qualms about it going through. Or in, in the meantime, drumming up enough public pressure to force Governor Abbott into calling a special session, which, you know, uh, one of the things that, that he has uh, proven is that given the right amount of pressure from the right quarters, he will pretty much do whatever. I mean, he basically adopted Don Huffine's entire platform related to the border, um, you know, because of what Don did during the primary. So he he can respond if he thinks that it will affect affect him and his allies at the polls. Okay, so to get this on this on uh, through committee right now, which it has to do, it still has to go through a little gauntlet. Uh, right. People need to be calling the the members of the committee and the committee chair, because I was talking about this with my husband. It just doesn't seem right that it sits on one person's desk right now, that one person has the ability to keep like what you said, 9 million Texans from going and voting that, that they would, that, or, or even 17 million Texans from voting on whether or not we would like to, to have this. To, right. So Look, that's, that's the problem. I mean, you know, it, this is, this is what people need to understand. Elections have consequences, right? The, the legislature that we have now is a direct consequence of the last election cycle. Uh, you know, and this is this is why it is imperative that everyone who, whether they support Texas or not, but at least those that want to have the conversation, this is why it's important that they number one pressure legislators, uh, you know, their legislators, their state rep, their state senator, the governor, the lieutenant governor, to to move this forward, but also uh, you know, getting these guys to, on the record somehow as to whether they are for or against. Uh, because the next election cycle is going on, and and this is what I tell Texas supporters every cycle: if a candidate does not support your inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish your government in such manner as you may think expedient, then they are undeserving of your vote, right? Because if it is an inalienable right, like the right to keep and bear arms, or the freedom of speech, or freedom of religion, just as a politician, you you know, a politician that would trample those rights wouldn't get your vote. So should a politician be deprived of your vote if they do not support your inalienable right to self-government? And so th this is the key thing. I, I didn't mean to jump in there, but this is something that I just cannot reinforce enough is that we have to, Texas supporters have to turn out not just for the Texas referendum, but in the elections that give us people that will make sure the Texas referendum both happens and the will of the voters is carried out after that referendum is won. Got it. Okay. So we're, Ooh, I, I felt, I felt a little, uh, I felt a little passionate there for a second. What just happened? <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> I know, right? Imagine it. Well, you know, I, it, it's such a it, strange feeling for me because it seems like I should have stumbled upon that this was more than a bumper sticker. That's what I've been saying. I mean, every uh, time I used to see the bumper sticker secede, I'd always be like, yeah, proceed. But I never, I never knew there was really a movement, Daniel. I did not know the Texas yeah. nationalist movement had gone under the radar. And if it's gotten to me, I think it's mushrooming. I think because obviously I was out of the, that loop. I didn't have buddies that were in the TNM. And so now I do. In yeah. fact, I found out the bass player in my band has a TNM sticker on the back of his truck. And I was like, really? So we've had this, we went to a local meeting and, um, he has, yeah, anyway, he's got some great ideas, but anyway, uh, 
I think it's mushrooming and that's exciting to me. You know, if it so the more and more people, that's what this podcast is about. That's why I'm doing this episode is to reach more people because when you, it's like this little, um, it's like going around a, a, a board game or something. You know, you first start the game and you're like, oh, text, it's really a thing. And then you're like, oh, could, can we really? And then you think, oh, well, how does that work? And then, oh, is what, what will it look like after you ask all these questions? And you, along the way, it really starts to sink in what a great option it is for Texans, especially those of us who want to preserve liberty. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's still shocking to me that this is new to me, but it's not shocking. I stepped across the line. I'm, I'm, I'm in, I am in. So uh, if we just have a few weeks to try to get this on the bill. Now you've been doing this since 1996. You stepped across the line. That is almost 30 years you've dedicated of your passion and life. Ooh. Well, now that you now that you put it that way, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, thank you. I can't thank you enough. I mean, you've you've really, uh, it, like you said, it's it. We we're only growing in numbers. People who are listening to this right now, all of this will be in the show notes. Everything that we've well, I'll I'll put the legislators that you can call. I'll put their phone numbers in the show notes. Um, I'll put a link to the Texas Nationalist Movement trying to get this this time, but you recognize how much of a long haul this is and that the numbers are only increasing. The Texas Nationalist Movement on the first page of the website has a wonderful ticker going and every day or every, every few days when I check on it, it's gone up by several hundred people that are, are getting the word and, get, and getting behind it and saying, I do support having the choice. And so, um, if it's possible to get it on to the ballot this year, basically we're going to need everybody to call their the, the this committee, every, the members of the committee, the committee chair, and have them hear it in the committee and put it through committee to the House floor. Then it has to, then we've got more to do. And so the process, if people are interested in it, they can just become a member or, or follow along on the Texas nationalist movement and, and you'll help them along. Yeah. Absolutely. During that process is when a lot of people would get involved and get excited. I think if it were to end up, if, when will we know if it's on the ballot or not? When's that deadline? Well, the end of the session is the end of May, right? We, the Texas legislature only meets for 140 days every other year. So it's, you know, this is always, uh, this is always the challenge. We're always, trying to fight against the clock. And, you know, I, oddly enough, the next election cycle, even though the filing window doesn't open till November, um, you know, it it really starts now. Candidates are already kind of lining up to to run and challenge the incumbents. So, you know, it's it really is a a process um, that, that goes on. It overlaps a bit from each stage. But this, the, the stage is being set. You know, if we're not getting what we want this session, the stage is already being set for the next session. The, the battle never stops. This is what, you know, you read the book. So you saw that where I talk about political short-sightedness. You know, people get locked into these two-year cycles. And, and if that dog, you know, if, if, they can't, if they can't see victory in two years uh, or whatever it is, then, you know, they get disgruntled. They get, okay, wh whatever, right? That, that, that is a function of being in the microwave popcorn society, right? Uh, you know, that they, they want things, they want it immediate. 
but independence is never that way. You know, people look at 1776 and the colonies and say, Ooh, you know, that it, it went really quickly after that. Well, you know, people forget about the 20 years ahead of that, of, of essentially resistance against the crown, uh, before all the things that led up to independence. You know, I, I like to relay the story a lot of times of, um, the, the organization in Serbia that toppled Slobodan Milosevic, you know, that finally ended his dictatorship. You know, they, they had this, this big moment where, they prevented Milosevic from stealing an election. Uh, and, and it, you know, kind of culminated over a period of a couple of days and with this big headline on the 24 hour news cycle video of them. I mean, it was just this big deal. And everybody's like, where did this come from? Well, what the media didn't talk about was the, the 10 years leading up to that, the five separate massive campaigns that they led that led up to that point, you know, there, there is always this ramp up. And so, you know, we, we get to the end of the session in May, uh, and, and we'll know ahead of time, right? If we don't get a hearing on this thing in the next couple of weeks, uh, they, they have spoken. The legislature will have told us everything that we need to know about how to deal with them next. Uh, but what I would do is I would encourage everyone out there, first and foremost, do your due diligence. I don't ever ask anyone to, to jump into this thing blindly. Uh, but if you support Texas, if you fall down on the side where you say, look, I am, I am, I believe in this. I think we need to have it. Uh, you need to take your belief to the next level. And and that means connecting with us by registering your support. Uh, go to our website at tnm.me, uh, register your support, connect with us. And then that's how we win is we connect and grow the number in the movement and then we move together. Uh, we, you know, we're about as organized as you could as you could possibly imagine. Um, and and as an organized movement, we do the things necessary to get the to get the vote, to win the vote, and then secure our independence. It is amazing what you guys have done. I mean, hats off. I'm so impressed. Thank you. <clears throat> so I taught a constitution class to the local homeschool uh, kids that wanted to come and the families. And we started out with the Declaration of Independence right. and we spent a, an hour reading it and pouring over it. And we went through those grievances. And it's amazing how many of the grievances that I'm sure you're so familiar with this, um, that the colonists had back in the 1760s and 1770s that are we, if you read those grievances, I, I suggest anyone who's listening to this to go read the Declaration of Independence, get your kids and sit down and read it and go slow because, and I, and try to memorize it because every time you read each part of it, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to uh, dissolve the political bands which have connected it with another. And, and, you, and as it goes through that, that, we have these inalienable rights that are given to us by our creator. And then when you get to the grievances, it gets a little bit, some of it's a little bit archaic and, and boring, but when you understand the ones that are, there's about a dozen of them that are absolutely happening now, the overtaxation, the wars that we're not agreeing to, that, I mean, it's just on and on. And our federal government's so out of hand. And I just would encourage people to consider this if they haven't and and then get involved and if you um if it doesn't happen this 
May, and then this November, where our numbers are just growing. And like you said, if the, the people that we start putting into office are people who would give us this right to choose, then that's up to us. So. I, I mean, I, I can't, I could not have explained it any better. You know, at, at the end of the day, you know, and, and you heard me say this uh, when, when I spoke, uh, you know, on August 24th, 1996, when I crossed that proverbial line in the sand, I, I promised to work to see Texas as a self-governing independent nation until the grave digger pats me in the face with a shovel, whichever comes first. That, that was my, that was my promise that I made. Right. <clears throat> and so independence will always be the best option for Texas. It, it will always be, uh, we'll, we'll argue that, um, every single solitary day, twice on Sundays, we can make the case for Texas being an independent self-governing nation, uh, across every facet of it. Uh, but ultimately it gets down to article one, section two, right. And, and people need to understand that when it starts with the words, all political powers inherent in the people, article one, section two of the Texas constitution says all political power is inherent in the people. Uh, I can't want this enough for, for 30 million Texans. I can't, uh, I, I will continue to work. I will continue to do my part, but it is incumbent upon everyone mm -hmm. in Texas. If you want that right of self-government to be that power, to be one of the people, because what good is it? If all political power is inherent in the people, what good is it? If you never exercise that power, don't, don't put your light under a bushel, you know, be that shining beacon of freedom and liberty and independence, uh, not just for your fellow Texans to see, but really the entire world is watching us. How empowering. Each one of us makes a total difference. Every one of us can be the proverbial rock in the pond or pebble in the pond that sends out the ripples. So, I mean, you've done it. You're, you're the, you know, it's, it's, it's not the Daniel Miller movement. It is the nope. Texas movement. It's all of us. And, uh, so when you opened up your, uh, your speech the other night, when I saw you, you talked about what brought you into the movement and it was that witnessing how the IRS treated your father yeah. as a child. And, uh, that is obviously still going on. They've just hired 85,000 more people. You know, one of the, uh, mind blowing sections of your book is how in enormous the federal government has gotten, uh, how many people work for the federal government? 14 million? Oh, it's, you know, you, you when you, you this don't know. Is, well, that's the thing. You, you can never get accurate numbers, but I mean, look, it's, I mean, here's, here's the, if you want it in a succinct fashion, you know, we're being crushed under the weight of 180,000 pages of federal laws, rules, and regulations administered by two and a half million unelected bureaucrats through 440 separate agencies. And the sad part of that is, the first number grows every day. Uh, the second number uh, grows every day, and no one's actually sure what that number is. And the third number, you can't compile from a single source because the federal government has lost track of how many actual agencies that it has. Uh, that is that is how much of a cancer the federal system is. Unbelievable how how out of hand it's gotten to the point where we don't even know how many laws we have, yeah. <laughs> like you were saying. So um, what would you leave us with that we haven't already covered, Daniel? 
you know, it's, it, I think it just goes back to the question that, that you talked about at, at the very beginning, the question I ask at the meeting, the, the question I, I ask everyone, um, you know, which is if Texas was already a self-governing independent nation among nations, we had everything that 200 other self-governing independent nations had. We had control over our own border and immigration policy, our own monetary policy, our own taxation policy. We had our own military and defense policy. We had our own embassies and passports. We literally had everything that 200 other self-governing independent nations have around the world. And instead of talking about Texas, we were talking about whether or not we should give up that control and join the union. Knowing everything you know right now, would you vote to give up that control and join the union? And if your answer, if you even hesitate, then you need to explore Texas. But if your answer was no, then you need to get plugged in and help us make it a reality because that is the thing about self-government. Well, if you wouldn't vote to join, why would you tolerate staying one moment longer than you absolutely have to? It's so powerful. I'm hoping that people are going to recognize that the the, the political apathy that has been pushed upon us, that it doesn't have to be that way. There's a, You have a whole chapter in your book on, on political apathy and how when we think Ugh, my vote doesn't matter or nothing changes or... I can't. Really. Here's your shot. I mean, <laughs> li literally anyone who's disconnected or is frustrated, you know, this is the hope. This is hope. And it's not false hope. Right. There's so many, uh, you know, little niche organizations out there pushing, fixing some little tweak at the federal level. But none of that, none of that has the lasting impact that this has. And it doesn't have the the ability to actually be a real total solution for the, the issues that, that we're all out there contending for. This is it. If anyone ever wanted any hope of regaining your right to govern yourself and to have a say in how you're governed, this is it. Today is your day. Something I think that's really important for people to know is that you guys have done the numbers. You are extremely well-versed in other um independence referendums from around the world and all of the polling numbers that happened before i think people need to know that we're there in numbers that if if we go to the polls uh to to vote not the polls i mean it is called the polls but right. if we get to go vote on whether texas on whether we get to become an independent nation again the numbers are there it will happen Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that that is clear from looking at independence movements around the world, uh, the vast majority of them that, that go the referendum route uh, start way behind the starting line. Right. They're underwater before they even call for the referendum. Uh, and the good news is, is that in the independence issue outperforms polling at the polls. We saw it. Uh, with Scotland, we saw it with Brexit. I mean, we've seen it time and time again, right? Those are two very clear examples. Independence, uh, pro-independence outperforms what the polling is, okay? So that's good news for us. Um, but we're not starting behind the the 50% mark, right? We're not underwater. Uh, we've, been, we've been above water since probably about 2016. 2014 was the first time we saw a majority uh, in uh, in any political party, right? And that was 54% support among Republicans. But the, you know, the the Survey USA poll that I mentioned earlier, 
uh, showed 60% of Texas voters overall and 66% of likely voters would vote yes if it goes on a ballot. So, you know, for us, the all we have to do is get the vote. And, and you know, it's one of the reasons, I'm sure, that the political establishment is fighting so hard to, to uh, you know, against us putting it on the ballot. They don't want it to go on the ballot uh, because they understand that if it goes on the ballot, it wins, and it doesn't win by a little. You know, we're not talking about a 50% plus one vote victory here. Uh, we're talking probably uh, well over a majority or supermajority. We will blow the opposition out of the water by 15 to 20 percentage points. That is what that is what the political establishment's afraid of because when we do and we put that massive number of voters in the Texas polls, they know that it will break the back of the political establishment that is not serving our interests. They're serving other interests. They serve other masters. Uh, this this breaks it. So when those politicians out there say, well, I've not heard of this, nobody believes in this, that is complete and utter garbage. Because if they did, if they truly believe that no one thought like this, there was no support for this, they would put it on the ballot and shut us up. Uh, but but they won't. They won't put it on a ballot because they know if it goes on a ballot, it wins. And then and I get to go on vacation. Yay! Okay, uh, you know, and there is something. There is something a little scary because it's the unknown. You know, but we can't say what it's going to be. It's just this option, which is, if you wrap your head around it, a better option for Texans who want liberty. It's a better option for Texans. And it's not like you said, it has ripples worldwide. But none of, nobody can predict the future. We never know what the future is going to bring. We do know we're on a sinking ship. Sure. Well, look, you know, if you're trying to escape a burning house, uh, does it matter? You know, you want to you does it matter if you're going to escape the burning house and get in a minivan or a Ferrari? It really doesn't matter. You just want to get out of the burning house, right? right. Uh, and and that's that's the thing. Now, I, and I didn't I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I think it's just the thing that gets missed so often is you have to people have to understand there is no fixing the federal system, and so what you see today is is a fraction of what you will see tomorrow when it is more of the same, mm -hmm. and it goes on and on like that. Yeah, and it doesn't get better. Sure. The, the government doesn't get any smaller. The debt's not going to get any smaller. Uh, you know, you're, they're not going to suddenly wake up tomorrow and go, you know what? We realize we've been trampling all over your liberties. Here you go. Go get them scout. You know, they don't, they don't do that. So you, you want a shot. You know, this is not, Texas is not a promise of utopia. No. Pro Texas is a promise of being able to have a government that functions and looks and acts like we do as Texans. Uh, mm -hmm. And not having to answer to the likes of, you know, President Puddin Pop and Chuck Schumer and, and people like that, you know, uh, it gives us an opportunity to to actually create a brand new nation among nations. And and that that opportunity is priceless. I mean, what would you give up to be a part of that generation that says, I got to create a brand new nation on this planet and hand it off to my children and grandchildren? Right. Uh, you, you can't buy your way uh, onto that thing. You just have to jump in and be a part of it. Okay. So if people want to know more, I highly recommend your book. I know you would too, but I, this, 
answered so many of my questions. So if you have questions, um, have these conversations around your dinner table, talk to your neighbors and talk to your friends because everybody wants to talk about it. I've been talking about it like with everyone and it's so much fun because, it, you know, uh, what is it? Studies have found that listening to uh, uh, the other opinion doesn't actually cause harm. <laughs> you can you can have these discussions and what'll happen is you'll you won't know the answers and then you'll have to think about it. And it's just such it's such a rich, ripe, fertile ground for thinking about what we want. How can we create what we want if we don't know what we want? And so it's um People can go to the tnm.me website and learn a lot. You can get involved, which I highly recommend. And you sometimes do YouTube Wednesday night. Tell us generally, about that. Generally, depending on my schedule, you know, because I travel a lot, but generally uh, Wednesday nights at nine o'clock, uh, I stream on uh, the TNM's YouTube channel. I do a late night coffee talk as though I don't drink coffee the rest of the time, right? Uh, but basically I talk about the events of the day, you know, what, what's been going on in the TNM in Texas, a uh, little deeper exploration on some things. Uh, and then I, I take questions. This has been running on for years now where I will take questions from people. Uh, now, generally, if it's just a general Texas question, I will refer them to texitnow.org to get all those answers from the FAQ. Uh, but I, I am about as accessible as you could possibly imagine. Because I'll be honest with you, uh, I I love talking about this. I love working to make it happen, uh, and I and I love the people that are rising up right now that are reclaiming that Texan spirit, uh, and and are ready to uh, to help us build a, a brand new nation in the world. So uh, it's all exciting. It is. It's so exciting. I I came away from your talk actually because I'm I'm. I have this podcast. I, I talk about bringing my whole, my whole being wants to preserve liberty for future generations. I right. feel so blessed with all that. I had over 20 uh, ancestors who were involved in the Revolutionary War. I mean, it's in my blood and I want to, but honestly, I've been feeling, and I didn't realize I had been feeling kind of dark about wow. that. And I came away after realizing Texas was a possibility with hope, which is, you know, hope can get, can get you in trouble, but you got to have it. Um, hope and excitement. Like you said, it's exciting to think that this is a possibility. Um, there are a lot of people involved. If you are in a town in Texas that you can go on the TNM and see if they have, uh, they already have a chapter in your town. If not, you can get one started. You could go over to a neighboring town and meet some people and see how it's done, see what they do. Um, it's great people. I went to the one over here in Dripping Springs not too long ago. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't belong in Austin or Dripping. So uh, we went, it's easier to go over here. And um, there were just some great people there. So it's not just Daniel. It's hundreds and thousands of of people out there doing everything they can. So, I mean, there's about, just to give you an idea of, of the scope, I mean, you you've probably already experienced it, but our national leadership team, just the, you know, the, the leadership of the organization has well over 150 people in it, uh, in all the various departments, we've got almost 60 or over 60 local groups. Uh, I mean, we're, we're everywhere, uh, and, and we're huge. We're the outside, outside of the Republican and democratic parties here in Texas. We're the single largest political advocacy organization in the state. 
Um, we have we have more infrastructure than than even uh, Abbott's or uh, O'Rourke's uh, gubernatorial campaigns. I mean, that's that's the size that we are, and it's because we're serious and we want to win and we want to be independent. And so we we uh, it's an all hands on deck effort over here. <laughs> Yeah, people are getting involved and they're also making donations. It takes money to run something like this. So I encourage everybody to get involved in any way that they can. And uh, I mean, it has been such a delight to have you on. I've been looking forward to it so much. And uh, I'm going to have um, a treat for the whole the whole movement here soon. I was mentioning that to you before we came on. Well, Daniel, uh um, I'm going to make those calls. I wanted to talk to you first before I, I called my, uh, I wanted to get really as, as finish the book and talk to you. And then I'm going to be calling those committee members. And I encourage everybody to do that too. Their numbers will be in the show notes. And um, thank you, Daniel. I can't thank yep. you enough for everything. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. And we should do this again. Okay. Anytime. You're welcome to come on Freedom Junkie Radio. Anytime you have something you want to blast out there, we'll put it put it out there. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Okay. See you ne next time. Hey, Freedom Junkies. I have to start creating the end of the show where I call it something like post-show power nuggets or something because after I cut with my guest, I keep recording. I learned that the hard way and I often get a lot of really great nuggets like the next 10 minutes or so. So enjoy the rest of Daniel's and my conversation. Well, it's, you know, it's an exciting thing and it's an exciting time. You know, we, this is for me, and, and I don't think it's just for me. I, I mean, I, I may sound a bit biased about this, obviously, but I, I really believe this is the defining moment of our generation. Uh, and so, you know, for us uh, as an opportunity to, to get out there and just play a part in it, whatever that role is. You know, I, I tell, I, I tell our guys all the time in leadership, I said, look, I won't rest. Uh, I, I can, I can go in the ground when this is all done forgotten, no headstone couldn't, could not possibly care less, but I will not rest until they're 50 years from now, pigeons crapping on statues of you guys, you know, because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's just the way that it needs to be. Right. I mean, it's just, it, we have to empower our, our, our leaders. I want our people to be the next generation of Texian heroes. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's, I, I didn't tell you this, I didn't mention this, but uh, one of the things we're doing this year as a homeschool family is doing Texas history. And so we're reading a great book and we got through the whole, I mean, now we're past the good part where it's already, <laughs> you know, we're already in the, in the, in the union. Right. So the good part was the whole really getting a sense of, of what was going on in Texas um, prior to the, the Alamo and San Jacinto. Yeah. And, um, and the fact that we know all those guys' names, we know we all do. the names and they didn't know they, that that's not what they was on their mind. Nope. They were not, they were not there to make history. They were there to preserve their, their rights. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and I think it's, I think it's important for people to, to view it from that standpoint is that these were, these were everyday people. You know, that's why Houston had such a hard time with his, his military because he didn't have a military. He had, uh, a, he had an army comprised of people 
that were fighting for their, their farms and their livelihoods and their families and things of that nature. You know, they weren't looking uh, to, to go in a history book someday. You know, we have the opportunity to be able to understand it from the standpoint that we know that when the history, when history is written about this time period, that this will either be a part of it or it will not. Right. You know, we have the ability to sort of, to look at it from that standpoint, but at the end of the day, the motivation cannot be to, to see your name in print. The motivation has to be that, that you want to be able to write your own future. You know, it's like I talked about at the tail end of uh, my other book, Line in the Sand, which is out of print. You know, you either, you either write the future or they will, or it will be written for you, right? Who, who is going to be the author of your destiny? Is it, will it be you? Uh, Because if not, there is someone else out there that is absolutely willing to write it for you. Well, and anyone who's ever done anything, they didn't know exactly what it was they were going to do. Like just take like a rock star or something. They just loved the music. I mean, maybe some of them did do it for fame. I don't know. (laughs) But most people who have done something in history, they were just doing their thing and they did it with their whole heart. Right. That's why we remember them because they did something. So, um, well, I have this anthem Shall I grab a guitar and sing a little of it for you? you Yeah, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear it. here i'm gonna just sing the old way um okay texas will again lift its head and stand among the nations sam houston said texas on principle texas for solutions texas for our liberty oh texas so we can be free i love my country not what it's become crooked inside so let's look to our declaration when any form of government is destructive of these ends it's time my friend to start over again Texas will again lift its head and stand among the nations Sam Houston liberty oh texas so we can be free come one come all let's heed the call the town to stand up is now no fear we're strong let's stand for a future with speech and rights guaranteed oh one where our children are free oh, 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 oh. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of it's a little different. I've changed a few of the words, and the producer yeah. didn't want me. He wanted me to save the Sam Houston part for just once, so we've changed the chorus. But yeah, that's great. Yeah, what would you change? Um, I don't. I would get it. I'd get it committed to uh to. I'd get it to a studio and get that's it done. Cool. I mean, we need you know Nate. So uh, well, you haven't met Nate yet. But you know the the song that I kick off the live stream with, he did an entire album of Texas songs, oh, uh, and so he, he hasn't released it yet. But I need to put you guys. We've got songwriters that are in the organization, and and we've thought about trying to connect them up for a songwriter workshop. I mean, uh, you know, some kind of songwriter retreat or something uh, for just all of our all of our musician folks, all of our song singer songwriters to get together. Uh, but yeah, I think that is a a fine addition to the repertoire. There's not, you know, there are Texas songs, right? But there are not necessarily Texas independence songs. And and so those things help, you know. Uh, right now I can hear Dr. Q lecturing me about Verdi. So, yeah, music makes a big difference. <laughs> I don't know who Dr. <laughs> Q is. I know who Verdi is, but I don't know who Dr. Well, I mentioned him, Mark. Dr. Quartrup. He was the one who, oh, he wrote the book on. Yeah, I want to break free. Yeah, Dr. We call him Dr. Q, but he, you know, he talked, you know, he's the one who talked about, he's the one who, who told me about uh, Rousseau. And um, if you want, if you want Poland, you have to create the Polish. If you want Italy, you have to create Italians. And so he talks about, he taught, you know, one of the things he, he goes on and on about is about Verdi uh, and how that music was essentially Italian. Uh, it was music built for the creation of an Italian nation. So Aida was really, uh, even though it was essentially about Hebrews, it was really about the, it was a metaphor for the creation of an Italian nation. I didn't know Italy didn't exist. Oh yeah. He, he goes through, it's, it's very interesting because he will go through this list. He's like, you know, everybody thinks that these countries have been around forever, you know, like Sweden and Denmark and da da da. And so he starts going through this list of these countries that were, that we all think of as having been around forever. And they're like, you know, some of them are less than a hundred years old. Some of them are, you know, whatever. And, and they didn't come about because let's say the dissolution of the Soviet union or, you know, some of those, you know, the UN's decolonization efforts, they're just, pretty daggum new, you know? And so it's, it's all, it's very interesting. He's very interesting guy to talk to. Okay. Well, this is way too much. I'm <laughs> so glad to have connected with you. And I honestly, Daniel, I'm, um, I'm so grateful to all the work that you've done. Well, and I appreciate I, that. I mean, when I, when you, when you don't know what you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And I, yeah, I thought you were joking that night when you were like, like one question per person. I was like, oh, he's joking because I have like 10. And so I, so I knew I wanted to get you on because I had a million questions. Your book did answer a bunch, but I realized how tired you are. You can't stay till 1030 every night. Uh, but I do <laughs> a lot of times. Uh, <laughs> that's why, you know, that's why look, it's why it's good because if Kara's there, she'll, she'll start watching. Um and, you know, if I'm, if I'm getting fatigued out, cause I look, I'll sit there and take questions until you people kill me. I mean, and, and there have been times when I just kept going and going and going. It's like, you know, we're, we're like two hours past, uh, you know, the end time for the, for the meeting, but look, I'll, I'll end, you know, I, I want, I want people to be, um, adequately prepared, informed, 
and honestly, I, I like sparring during Q and A's. So. Oh, it's so good. You're so good. Daniel, your, um, your ability to speak on your feet, you have honed it. You're great. I mean, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Job And just so keep it up. I mean, there's people like me who haven't even woken up yet. Oh, it's look, th this is, this is an each one teach one thing. You know, the mainstream media has made it very clear uh, that they don't, they they don't want to put oxygen on this fire. You know, they, they you see breakouts here and there, <clears throat> but you know, it's uh, the a lot of them, you know, they they won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. You have to think about it. If any other issue polled as high as ours, if any other organization or any other issue had an organization behind it the size of ours, <clears throat> it would be earth shattering. Even Dr. Quartrup, you know, I asked him this when he was here. He, we had him here for about eight or nine days at the beginning of March. Uh, and, and I asked him, I said, look, I said, at what point should the mainstream media be losing their minds over this? At what, what polling percentage is the independence issue, a major political issue <clears throat> that deserves that sort of attention? He says 30%. I said, okay, we're, we're twice that what's the problem. And so we had a lengthy conversation about that, but he, he has essentially said, anywhere else around the world. So the only thing you can think, the only answer to that is it is a coordinated effort to not put oxygen on this fire. Cause every time they do, I mean, we explode in growth. So okay. at the beginning of your book, it says you've been on all the major networks. Yeah. Years ago before we had the number. No, I mean, look, it, it still happens. You know, we still get, you know, I was on, when I released the book, they had me on Fox business. I mean, you know, that, that sort of thing happens. Um, but it's not consistent and consistency is the key. They will blip it and then they will run away from it. They will, you know, so they will periodically make a mistake or something gets to, you know, we were, we had some coverage on our Facebook and, you know, our social media issues on Fox, on uh, the Fox news website recently, uh, Anywhere else, it would be a massive story, but because we have a friendly reporter over there, it w went there and almost no further. No other outlets picked it up, uh, not not major ones. So what we're convinced of is, and, and it's not a bad thing for us. You now you could look at it and go, well, this is really slowing the progression, but for us, strategically speaking, um, I, I think it ultimately makes more sense for us to grow this through straight retail politics. Yeah, it means we have to do paid media. We have to pay for billboards, got to pay for advertisement. We got to do we got to pay for that sort of big thing. But ultimately the the big societal shift that we're making here requires retail politics. Each one teach one, knock the doors of your neighbors, you know, phone banking, peer-to-peer -peer texting. Uh, people working their personal networks. I mean, that that's what makes sure that we will have what we need to not only get the referendum, but win the referendum and then secure the independence on the other side. So, you know, it sucks because I'd like to be done with this um, because I want to win and then get on with the rest of my life. But on the other hand, this is what it takes to win in the long term. And that's really what we want is we want a solid win with a solid independence on the other side of it. Okay, so um, do you mind if I, anything you've said post-show, if I work it in? You haven't no, said No, I don't mind. Okay. I don't mind at all. And, um, 
I, I'm here. I mean, I'm in. So if there's anything I can do to help, anything you need, I'll be doing what I can. And uh, let's figure out how we can how we can get you plugged in. You know, we need we need. Like I said, it's an all hands on deck situation, and and we're you know we're we want to get everyone. Uh, we want anyone who wants to help. We want to give them an opportunity to do that in the place where they're at. Uh, you know, the thing that makes the most sense to them. So. Let's uh, let's start having that conversation. So, okay, Daniel, have a great rest of your day, and thank you so much. You too. I appreciate it, and let's talk soon. Okay. Bye. Adios. Texas will again lift its head and stand among the nations. Sam Houston said, "Texas on principle, Texas for solutions, Texas for our liberty. Oh, Texas, so we can be free." with speech and rights guaranteed oh one where our children are free anyway kind of like that <laughs>